In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. Today's liturgy presents to us, readers, the parable of the wedding feast. This is actually the second time in the liturgical year that this uh, gospel, this parable, not the exact same gospel, but the parable of the wedding feast is presented to us. Remember the first time was on the second Sunday after Pentecost. Not, of course, on the day of Pentecost, but right away after Pentecost, once the Holy Spirit has been sent to us, the wedding feast is presented to us as the reward for the souls that would accept this invitation to join the feast. Eternal beatitude, of course. So the second Sunday after Pentecost, and now today towards the end of the liturgical cycle of the Sundays after Pentecost. As two parentheses, so as to remind us, as we start everything, what's our finality, God himself, the Beatitude, and towards the end, same thing, reminding ourselves to examine our conscience and see what is our goals, what are our goals in life, Beatitude. A wedding feast, then. Whose wedding? The son of a king. The meaning is clear here. First of all, the king, the king himself, God the Father, as interpreted by many fathers of the church. Then the son, the bridegroom, is God's incarnate son, Jesus, whose very spouse is, of course, the church itself. Interesting enough, the writer of the gospel mentions that he's a king, but not just a king. Omini regi, men and king. So as to show, of course, the unity, God the Father, God the Son, and the Son that soon will become, the Word of God that soon will become men through the mystery of incarnation. Soon the liturgy will also even celebrate the kingship of that very Son on the Feast of Christ the King, which will be celebrated next week. He espoused the church in the sense that he espoused human nature to himself. And the love he shares with the church in his own, is his own sanctifying grace. This is why without this grace, without this love received from the Son, no union is made possible and no participation to the wedding feast is possible. Christ has prepared this marriage feast. He has prepared, and how do we see that? First of all, traditionally, weddings uh, had some sacrifices offered right before the actual wedding itself. Jews would offer sacrifices before the celebration of the wedding. Sacrifices with animals, of course, calves, bulls, and other um, animals. And so the meaning here is clear. Christ has already offered himself on the wood of the cross. And now, through this redemption, we can participate to his wedding. We can participate the way the gates of heaven have been opened for us. Bulls and faultings, says the gospel, have been killed. The Greek word for killed is actually immolated. So, Christ, our past, has been immolated on the cross. The true sacrifice has been offered already, and the gates of heaven are now open for us. 
the guests. Who are the guests? This invitatos mentioned in the gospel. Those who are invited. First of all, the Jews. The Jews, but they have refused this invitation, as we see in the gospel. They have refused the invitation, went back to the field, went back to their business, and refused the invitation since they have received the revelation already in the Old Testament through the prophets, uh, Moses, Abraham, the prophets, the law. They knew the coming of the Son of God, Christ, and they rejected Him. Then, others were even killed among these invitatus, the guests. Some were killed. The meaning is clear. We have here the presence of all the martyrs, confessors, doctors, saints of the church that have been killed for embracing the teaching of Christ. Very tough words from our Lord Himself here in the Gospel. On one hand, talks about a wedding. The other hand, mentions persecutions, killed. Who would kill those invited to a wedding for no reason? Of course, here we are reminded of this daily persecution that we also go through, not only through a physical martyrdom, but as too often, as we see too often in our society, a more spiritual persecution. When our reputation, for instance, as Catholics, is being attacked so much, this is, I think, a form of true persecution and a true martyrdom that we also have to go through. So he's, he then, our Lord, the King, decides to invite everyone. Not only the guests from the Old Testament, but of course the New Testament as well. He opens up the gates of heaven for everyone with the coming of His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Bad and good. One might wonder then, how could Christ invite the bad people? Certainly here in the sense of people who have committed mortal sins. How can he accept them to his wedding feast? First of all, this is the mystery of God's mercy given to all sinners. But as I already mentioned in the past, mercy cannot go without justice. So he invites them, but he expects from them to answer the call by, of course, rejecting a life of sin and to embrace a life of grace. Those who most certainly have abandoned, put off the old men, as we read in the epistle of the day. So, of course, we have followed him, but did we have abandoned the old men, our bad habits, from a life of sin to a life of grace. And His mercy here requires fidelity. He opens up the door for the wedding feast to everyone, but requires one thing from them, fidelity. Fidelity to what? To the promises of your baptism. And the meaning here is clear. Remember what He says about the garment of one of the guests that do not wear the white garment for the wedding. Remember the rites of baptism itself, the white robe of innocence, which you have vested. You see that with little babies when you have baptism here, traditionally always wearing this white garment of innocence. Remember, after, right after renouncing Satan, we renounce Satan, we accept the invitation to the wedding feast, and then we 
um, ask our Lord to be faithful to him by keeping this white robe of innocence. Remember what says the rite itself, the ritual? Take this white robe and keep it spotless until you arrive at the judgment seat of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you may be rewarded with everlasting life. Otherwise, and this is the end of the gospel, otherwise there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So as a conclusion, let us always be on our guard to keep this white robe of innocence, pure and spotless, never doubting, of course, of God's grace. If there is any spot on this white garment of innocence, let's run to the confessional to clean our soul from anything that could destroy or damage our union with God, with Christ. Let us renew our fidelity to Christ, Christ who invites us to his wedding, Christ our King as we will celebrate next week, Christ ruler and Savior. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.